Tonight, the school library gets a 21st century makeover. How a traditionally quiet space is transforming into a collaborative hub and preparing students for the real world. Then, meet the moms who wanted the perfect school for their kids with Down syndrome. So they created their own, where children of all abilities learn side by side. That, as Metro Focus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin, the JPB Foundation. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jenna Flanagan. The days of school libraries being a place for only books and getting shushed are a thing of the past, at least in some communities. Baldwin High School on Long Island is among them, transforming its traditional library space into a collaborative hub with 21st century tech. Three, two, one. Dubbed the Learning Collaboratory, the space is geared towards preparing students for the real world of work. Now, if you know Baldwin, that shouldn't come as a surprise. The district has pioneered a specialized school-to-career program with seven distinct academies focusing on everything from medicine to business and tech. We visited Baldwin several years back to see what makes their approach to learning so unique. Here's a quick look. What industry is looking for, they're looking for critical thinkers, they're looking for communicators, they're looking for creativity. And if we want our students to gain those skills, then we have to create opportunities where they learn them and they use them. Recreating education is a passion of Sherry Cammy, the superintendent of Baldwin Public Schools. Ever since she joined the district in 2014, Dr. Cammy has worked to make the education experience more meaningful for her students. We as a team have visited Google, we visited Mashable, we visited WeWorks. Our students are going to be working in those environments. So if they're going to be working in those environments, we really felt um, compelled to make sure that our environments inside the walls of our schools mirrors what the world of work looks like. So Dr. Cammy sat down with her district's teachers and asked them what they needed to make their classrooms feel less institutional and more adaptable to their teaching style. They also implemented the academy system, which allows students to test out fields of study and even careers while they're still in high school. It emphasizes learning rather than schooling. So we thought our kids go from high school to college and they go from college to career. And where do they actually get the opportunity to learn about careers? And back with us tonight as part of our Chasing the Dream coverage is Baldwin Superintendent, Dr. Sherry Cammy, who led the push to transform the district's high school library. Dr. Cammy, it is so good to see you again on Metro Focus. It's so nice to be here, Jenna. Absolutely. Okay, so first, tell me about this 
uh, school collaboratory, this because again, this goes against everything that so many of us knew about our high school experiences. What is this brand new it's situation that you've created? So we recognize, as you know, that schools in 2023 need to look different than they looked in 1893. Uh, as we have been redesigning our physical spaces, one of the spaces that really stood out was this idea of a library. Um, do we believe in books? Yes. Do we still have book collections that our students can can reserve and take out? Of course. But given the the need for spade and space and looking at what we really need the space for, uh, we decided that what Baldwin needed was what we're calling a learning collaboratory. And it really is exactly as it's described, right? It's where learning happens, it's collaboration happens. Um, it's a laboratory where kids work together. The space is, I mean, it's beautiful and and when you are in a beautiful space, you feel ready to do amazing things. And ultimately, that's what we hope for our students. This sounds kind of like a, perhaps a student-led co-working space that adults might be familiar with. Am I getting warm in what you're doing? You are absolutely getting warm. You know, it's kind of funny because we, we consider ourselves here in Baldwin future-focused, I don't think that we could have realized when we started the plans for the learning collaboratory that in 2023, the world of work would have changed, that many people are either working from home, um, office space has been reduced so that, um, you know, if you are not coming into work every day, you certainly don't need the space that you needed before. And you need space where you can collaborate, space where you can have quiet time and do some work. And ultimately, our learning collaboratory is exactly that. So I feel like we helped to invent the future of work before industry invented the future of work. Again, going against what so many of us remember of our high school library, is it a bad thing if it's too quiet in there? Oh, there's no shushing going on here. <laughs> uh, this is all about collaboration. It's all about our young people getting together to solve problems, to think through big questions, to work together. Um, you can't work together in quiet. So um, there are spaces where if you need quiet, you can have quiet. Uh, but the idea is all about discussing and collaborating and working together um, with with your colleagues. How does this then uh, enhance Baldwin's already existing academies programs? One of the things we really pride ourselves in in Baldwin is that the curriculum that we have developed and continue to develop is all around um, essential questions, big questions that don't have a, a yes or no answer. They generally don't have a right answer. And so um, this is become the physical space where you can do the work that the curriculum is um, has been designed around. Uh, it, so you talk about the, the way we think about a library or thought about a library. You, you can probably fit the word classroom in there also, right? The way we think about classrooms, the way we thought about classrooms. If your curriculum is very frontal-based and lecture-based, then you can do it in a traditional classroom. But if it is really all about kids working together, then the physical space needs to change as well. So this is really a complement to the work that we've done for learning in our school system. It is a place where learning comes alive. 
um, where thinking comes alive, where if you walk into that space, uh, you you can't escape the energy. You can't escape um, the collaboration amongst our students and the excitement. Um, we have a group of students um, called YCLC. It's a youth collaborative, and they have identified, for example, um, really important topics in our world that need some problem solving. So, for example, the environment. Um, those students have mentors in the field of business that are working with them to solve some of those problems. They mean in the YCLC every afternoon, um, they know exactly where to go. They are thinking, they're going on um, what in essence is what you know we would think of as video conferencing with their mentors. They're doing their research. They're speaking to experts in the field. And ultimately they are presenting forward um, what they consider to be a plan for fix to a current problem. I mean, first of all, the word energy, I don't think is a word that most people would associate with a traditional library, especially not a tr traditional high school library. Why was it important to not only redesign, but more importantly, rebrand it so that it's not the library, it's the collaboratory? Listen, words matter. Uh, we know that. And words inspire thoughts. Uh, and when you use old words, they inspire old thoughts. Um, I think that the, that the and, and we spent a lot of time talking about what was this space going to be called. When we think about learning collaboratory, um, the, the two essential components to that learning and collaboration are in there. And that is essentially what we're hoping for, um, not only in that space, but in our schools in general. And so, if we're thinking about what we want to call it, we have to represent what we expect to be happening in it. When you think about a library, as you point out, you think about shushing, you think about books, you think about, you know, quiet, you probably think about wood furniture and and maybe even a darkness. I, that's been my experience. If I think about libraries, I think quiet, I think dark. Um, this is the exact opposite. It's bright, it's airy, um, it has lots of technology. Um, it has less stuff in it, which is kind of interesting. Um, it, it has it has access to information, but it doesn't have the information right there. I'm also wondering, was this something that uh, you guys at Baldwin just sort of came up with on your, on your own, or were there other libraries that you looked to for inspiration? Or did you just draw your inspiration from the, you know, adult co-working spaces that seem to be popping up everywhere? I think we do have a, a lot of our thinking inside. I think we are inspired by things that we see outside, but they it really does come from a place of problem solving. If we want to do this type of work in a learning environment and the physical space is not allowing us to really maximize that, we look for a solution to that problem. And in this particular case, redoing um, what was the library into the learning collaboratory was, was the solution that we came up with. I can give you another example. Mm -hmm. Next year, in the 23-24 school year, uh, we are introducing a new course called the senior experience. And we are we are merging uh, English, the study of English, um, social studies and business together, where our seniors will be working on curricular projects uh, that merge those three areas 
Um, much like the YCLC, um, those students will be working in the learning collaboratory. They will have a problem in front of them, essential questions in front of them. It will be very much student directed, a lot of work outside school um, and branded with internships. So if I am, for example, um, studying the field of medicine and maybe something specific inside the field of medicine, I'll spend some of my time in my courses in the learning collaboratory and I'll spend the rest of my time in the field of medicine. For people who uh, might be seeing this segment, but you know, aren't in the Baldwin School District and they're thinking, you know, this sounds so great and why aren't they doing this at my kid's school? What advice would you give to someone who is hearing, you know, what amazing things are going on at Baldwin and they're at another public school district and they're not sure if it's even possible? Is that too big to dream? What advice would you give? I would say a few things. One, it's nothing's ever too big to dream. The minute we stop dreaming big, we stop progressing. Um, that's number one. Number two, we have lots of houses for sale here in Baldwin. So we're, we're happy to welcome you. Um, I think, you know, that we've sort of embarked on this topic that um, there are four areas that need to get together to maximize the kinds of things that we're doing in other places. So industry, K-12, higher education, and policy. We need to get together in order to really fundamentally rethink what learning looks like in the future for us in the present. Uh, and how do we support one another? How does higher education support the training of teachers so that the people who we hire are prepared in this area? Um, what does industry need and how does K-12 support what industry needs? And policy, how does policy support innovative work as opposed to living in the past and um, having policies in place that force you to live in two worlds at once, which is ultimately where we find ourselves right now. For people that are thinking you know, about their public school systems and what could they do, you know, I think just raising the level of conversation, um, creating opportunities, opening up dialogue, uh, dreaming big and thinking what's possible, that is certainly one way to go. Um, my national organization, AASA, is always hosting big thinking events um, that bring people together who want to think differently, who want mm -hmm. to expand. Um, and I, I think you need to take the first step um, and provide specific examples of what's happening, what's possible, and do it in a way that allows people to hear your message. Um, if you're thinking about dreaming big for the purpose of your kids, no one's going to shut you out. They're going to listen. Tonight, we welcome the co-founders of a unique school that is providing a model for inclusive learning in the city. The Ideal School of Manhattan is New York City's only K-12 independent inclusion school. The school was founded some 17 years ago by three mothers out of a specific need. A truly inclusive, diverse school with small class sizes where students of all abilities can learn together in the same classroom. School has grown over the years, now moving to a new, larger home down in the financial district. And here to talk about the school as part of our Chasing the Dream initiative, focusing on solutions to structural inequities, are two of the co-founders of the Ideal School of Manhattan, Audra Zuckerman and Michelle Smith. Ladies, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Uh -huh. 
Uh, Audrey, let me come to you first if I can. So I gave a brief background there in the introduction, but we want to learn more about just how and why the decision was made to, to, to create this approach to learning. Sure. So um, back in 2005, Michelle and I both had young children with Down syndrome, and we were looking for a school setting where our children could be included with their peers, could go to school with their their peers of the same age. They had been included in everything that we did in our lives up until then, went to inclusive preschool settings. And we thought, this is New York City. There's so many school options. This won't be an issue. But we ended up coming up against a lot of roadblocks in this process. Um, many of the public school settings couldn't provide the resources or wouldn't provide the resources to support our students in the way that we knew, knew that they needed it to be successful. Um, the private schools weren't interested in taking students with Down syndrome. And many of the special education schools were not inclusive um, or they really focused on a particular type of disability, not including Down syndrome. So we thought, this is crazy. Um, this Again, it's New York City. How could this be possible? We shouldn't need to leave um, the city that we love and wanted to raise our children in just to find an inclusive educational setting. So we got together with another family and we started to say to each other, let's try this. Let's try to start a school where um, students of all abilities can learn together in one place, be accepted for who they are, have a curriculum that meets each student where they are in the learning process, and can can replicate the beautiful community of New York City itself and the diversity of New York City itself. Michelle, let me ask you to, to, to expand on that a little bit. And, and I think Audra, some of her answer provided that, but to, to, for some clarity for our viewers, when we talk about the notion of inclusive education, what does that actually mean? It means co-educating, not pulling out of classrooms, not it making anyone feel bad or extra good, and creating a model where people can learn together as long as the program and the children are surrounded with differentiated instruction. That, that's an interesting point. Let me ask you to follow up on that, because I, I know and I'm sure you you run into this where there are some people might have a misperception or just not, just don't fully understand it. And they might say, well, wait a minute, if you're putting everybody in one classroom, does that mean that those with we hear the term special needs often used? Does that mean they're going to get all the emphasis and the others will not? I, I, what is the answer to that in terms of the balance in the classroom? So our, our answer to that in our classrooms is co-teaching and everybody is met with how they learn. And so all the kids typically developing children that are non-typical are having individualized education learning plans to meet them where they are. And so if math is being taught, math is directed the way it needs to be directed for that student and nobody's being dragged down it's a myth and nobody is left behind that might be learning at a different pace and our answer to it was creating a co-teaching model to differentiate the instruction for that particular learner it it sounds like such common sense right it sounds so <laughs> simple uh, we're in the same structure the same room everybody's together but we have teaching that is tailored 
to the groups. So I guess my question to you, Audra, is, and, and you kind of mentioned this before, why wasn't it being done in New York City before you all did it? Well, it's a great question. And I think there's a couple of reasons. So first is, it does require some additional resources. You have to make prior, every organization has to make decisions about priorities and commitment of resources. So one way that resources are important when you're talking about inclusion is the co-teaching model that Michelle mentioned. So that's a general educator and a special educator working together in a classroom. So that's, that's an additional full head teacher in a classroom. Um, there is training that is involved. There are other resource issues and you have to make them a priority. But I think the bigger issue that you come up against when you're talking about inclusion in other educational systems is it's a matter of prioritizing and believing in the value of having a, a, excuse me, a diverse educational environment. So at Ideal, everybody there is on board with the mission of inclusion. It is inclusive from the top down to the bottom up. Nobody walks in that door and has to leave their identity behind them at the door. It's a philosophy. It's a it's in our DNA. Right. So if you are trying to convince the educators at the school or the leadership of the school or the teachers there, that's a you're in a different situation. What we have at Ideal and what we would love to see in other schools, public, private, anything across the country, is a belief in our children, the belief that all children can learn, all children are valuable to a community, that everybody brings something to the table, and that all students are teachable. And everybody at the Ideal School believes that. And we all support one another. We all celebrate each other's differences. It's okay if one student struggles in one area, there'll be another area that they that they are spectacular in. Michelle, so to help us understand, what does a classroom in the ideal school look like and, and feel like and sound like? Yeah, Audra loves this one. Um, Audra, I'd love to toss this to you. Good, Audra, it's all yours. Quite honestly, it looks like every other classroom in America. Our classrooms don't look different. And in fact, oftentimes you're not even going to be able to know which students are receiving extra support in the school. Not everybody has a visible disability. Um, what you might see that is different in an ideal school classroom is there are smaller class sizes. You're going to see more instructors in the room, but you're not going to really know which teachers are focusing on which students because everybody's working with everybody. You might see flexible grouping. You might see students all together in a classroom learning about a subject at one point and then breaking off into smaller groups, receiving their differentiated instruction, doing different projects related to the same topic in small groups. You might see at the ideal school something that I am really proud of, that I think we're all really proud of that we do, is we do not pull students out of the classroom to get their therapies. So you might see all students leaving the classroom to go to different electives. One student might be going to an art elective. One student might be going to a music elective. One student might be getting occupational therapy. There's no stigma. There's no difference um, in how they're treated and, and perceived by the community. Here's what you feel when you walk in that school and you watch these human beings, teachers, admin, and the students with each other, you feel respect. You feel 
complete immersion of this isn't my friend Dylan with Down syndrome and he can't read. This is my friend Dylan. That's what you feel. You see and viscerally feel how if we started teaching human beings at young ages that differences are okay, they're not scary, we all have have to adapt, we all have to coexist, it's an absolutely remarkable social study to watch and feel. How did your own children, how did your own children do? How did they benefit from this type of environment? Well, I can tell you that my son, Max, who is now 23 years old, so he started the school. He was in first grade when we opened it. He was in the first graduating class in 2018. He is proud of the fact that he has Down syndrome. He doesn't think of it as a negative. It is just a part of his identity. It is just part of who he is. And that is something we work very, very hard to cultivate at the school with an intentional identity curriculum, with the social justice work that we do from kindergarten on every student. And it's not just students with disabilities. It's all of our students. We have an incredibly diverse population um, are, are celebrating one another's unique aspects of their identity from the beginning. There's also the fact that I think he did reach his potential in all of the subject areas that he worked on at school because he felt safe, he felt accepted, and he was taught to access the curriculum at the level where he was at each stage. Michelle, how about you? Yeah, you know, uh, our model tackles bullying without have to say tackles bullying. My son didn't get bullied. Kids with Down syndrome can be targets. Kids with differences can be targets. Kids without disabilities can be targets. This model, our school is a movement. Our school was a pioneering movement way back when. And the issues that we're seeing now with bullying and the differences and and just the harassment is inclusion solves the problem. This coexistent concept from a young age, and it's in the DNA of everybody and everything. We have word of the month ideal. It's not word of the month for special needs children. It's word of the month. We are all about civil rights, civil justice, social justice. This is an answer to one of the most systemic problems we are seeing in youth. Yeah, Yeah, once again, the ideal school of Manhattan, just as I said before, a, 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 a marvelous idea that has been put into play and has accomplished everything that we could hope for, and we just need more of it. So uh, our thanks to both of you, Audra and, and Michelle, for joining us. And, and we'll look forward to maybe talking again down the road and, and seeing how all of this is evolving. You all be well. Take care now. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to MetroFocus. You can take our award-winning program with you wherever you go with MetroFocus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play MetroFocus, the podcast. Also available at MetroFocus.org, WLIW.org slash radio, and on the NPR One app.